Welcome to Humanize from Discovery Institute's Center on Human Exceptionalism, where human rights meet human responsibilities. We speak with writers, thinkers, and newsmakers on the controversial issues of human life and human thriving that impact our daily lives. We are exceptional as creatures in the cosmos, as equal members of the human family, and as ethical beings. Humanize explores some of the fundamental questions. How do we thrive? How do we live well and care for what we've inherited? How do we act responsibly with one another and in the wider world? And how do we conserve the good things of this life for the future? We matter. Our actions matter. Let's get into it. I'm Wesley J. Smith, and this is Humanize. In this edition of Human Eyes, we are going to have a mature discussion about what I believe is one of our society's greatest affronts to human dignity, the pornography epidemic. Attaining access to explicit pornography once required going to sordid stores in bad parts of town or squalid movie theaters. But with the coming of the internet, it is now readily accessible to anyone who wants it, often free of charge, and that includes children. This has caused a too little heralded cultural crisis. Pornography is a major cause of social dislocation, leading to divorce, adultery, and abuse. It can be addictive, distort social relationships, and generally promote a degrading and dehumanized view of women. The pornography industry is inextricably connected to the crisis of human trafficking, including the sex enslavement and exploitation of children. Few people combat pornography as stalwartly or effectively as my guest today. Donna Rice Hughes is the founder and CEO of Enough is Enough, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization dedicated to making the internet safer for children and families. Donna has been a pioneering leader of efforts to prevent internet-enabled sexual exploitation of children since 1995, at which time her public advocacy helped to birth the internet safety movement nationally. Most recently, she developed the National Safe Wi-Fi campaign calling on corporate America to filter pornography and child sex abuse material on public Wi-Fi. She served as the host and producer of the Emmy Award-winning Internet Safety 101 PBS TV series. She is a recipient of the Founders Award National Center on Sexual Exploitation, among other accolades. Donna, welcome to Humanize. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Thanks for coming and, and for being on the program. You know, most a- activists decide to engage public advocacy for a reason. What got you interested in fighting pornography and promoting internet safety? Well, that there is a long answer to that, so I'm going to keep it short. Um, basically, in 1994, I met the founder of Enough is Enough, Dee Jepson, and I was recruited to come work at this young organization called Enough is Enough. And at the time, they were fighting pornography in print and broadcast in sexually oriented businesses. This was just before the Internet uh, was birthed. And, and the more she talked to me about the harms of pornography, the more... 
I became convinced that it had actually played a role in my life in an early exploitation of my own life. And, um, and, and one of the real, I guess, the turning points for me in that conversation with Dee Jubson was when she talked about the fact that pornography, and especially violent pornography, promotes the rape myth. And I said, well, what does that mean? And she said, well, it, it, it means that it promotes this, this idea that when a woman says no, she really means yes. And wants, oh, to, be wow. raped, wants to be violated. And because that's the messages that are propelled through this type of pornography. And, and I had heard words like that before when I was 22, when I lost my virginity in a date rape. And that's what the man said to me afterwards, that he thought that my nose meant yes. And I was just oh my goodness, that's... And so for me, that was a green light to, to, to get involved in this issue. I didn't know much about it at the time. But about two weeks into my job in 1994, we saw the beginnings of hardcore pornography and child pornography surfacing on the internet, on the pre-internet. This was before the World Wide Web was developed. This was before email. There was like, you know, one or two um, internet service providers. And I went, aha, this is why I'm here because I was a great believer in the idea of the internet. And we also understood that criminals and, and pornographers and child pornographers in particular, are often very much ahead of new technologies because they have new ways to distribute their content. And, and so that just fired me up and I took on the internet safety project at Enough is Enough and, and we became so involved in this. And, and like you said in the introduction, this really our effort in public policy and education birth the internet safety movements and so much so that we focused all of our attention on protecting children and families online from sexual predation and pornography. And we changed our entire, entire mission statement in 1995 to wow. make the internet safer for children and families. Let's define our terms. Uh, pornography is a general term uh, of reference for sexually explicit material, which can range from nude photos to explicit depictions of sexual acts. Today, I'd like us to focus on the two most concerning aspects of, of porn. One is obscenity, mm -hmm. sometimes called hardcore porn, which the Supreme Court has ruled can be legally punished consistent with the First Amendment. Yes. How does obscenity differ from, say, nude photos one might see in Playboy or simulated sex scenes in motion pictures? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the way I, t I teach this this. this whole idea of what I call pornography 101 is that there are three types of pornography. Um, you mentioned two of them. One is child pornography, which we now refer to as child sex abuse images. Um, the other is obscenity, which is hardcore content that is not protected speech for adults or for children. And then there is the category of content, which is kind of, you know, the, the, the layman's terms would be softcore material. And that would be the, the nudity, the playboy type of content. That is protected speech for adults, but not for children. So in other words, a child cannot, or someone under the age of 17 or 18 cannot go and purchase an X-rated video or um, buy a penthouse magazine or hustler magazine, etc., in in the print and broadcast video world. Now, 
um, what, what changed with the internet was in the 90s, we tried to get those laws that actually segregated a, what we call adult pornography, the softer core material, and in addition to all the hardcore material away from children. We, two pieces of legislation were passed. They were both struck down by the Supreme Court eventually. So we have wow. no protection like that to protect children from adult protected, what we call indecency or harmful to minors. Now, obscenity is what, what you referred to. This is, we, we call that hardcore pornography. It is illegal to produce and to distribute in the United States. And now, I, have the Supreme, I have the Supreme Court definition. Yes. Um, and I'll, I'll read it so our listeners know what we're talking about. This comes from the uh, 1973 decision Miller versus California. And the court set three basic guidelines. First, whether the average person applying contemporary community standards would find that the work taken as a whole appeals to the prurient interest. Second, whether the work depicts or describes in a patently offensive way sexual conduct specifically defined by the applicable state law, and third, whether the work taken as a whole lacks serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. That can be prohibited and punished criminally. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is, it isn't anymore. And mm -hmm. secondly, I'm not sure whether the community standards would apply because, of course, Miller was decided before the internet. Do we even have community standards anymore? Well, that, that's a good question, and that's something that groups like the ACLU have fought on, but not with respect to obscenity, uh, back to the cases with harmful to minors uh, laws that I told you were struck down. But, but here's the point. Um, no one has debated the fact that obscene pornography is prosecutable under U.S. federal law. The problem and the challenge has been getting those laws prosecuted and they have not been prosecuted since John Ashcroft was the attorney general. And this is absolutely devastating because what has happened now is the very extreme content that used to be in the darker shadows of the internet has now become mainstream pornography. So mainstream pornography now looks like this. It depicts strangulation, choking, the abuse of women, uh, themes like teen rape, incest are popular themes in this type of content. And so this is the new normal. And this is the type of content that pornographers that are producing it, like Pornhub, that one hub alone makes over $3 billion a year. And they have not been prosecuted on, uh, on, on these types of charges. And at Enough is Enough, we have been working very hard for good golly since John Ashcroft and even before um, to get these laws aggressively enforced because we're convinced and the science and, and the studies show this, that this type of content is fueling the abuse of women. It is fueling child sex exploitation. It does cause addiction. We, we've got all the evidence now scientifically that shows this and the fact that we cannot get a department of justice to enforce these laws is extraordinary and i'll tell you wesley and i think your listener is going to be fascinated to hear this um and enough is enough we wrote the children's internet safety presidential pledge and donald trump signed that when he was a candidate and hillary clinton got behind it 
And one of the things that we asked is that all the existing laws on the books to protect children online would be aggressively enforced. That includes the trafficking laws, sexual predation, uh, child, uh, child sex abuse material, and obscenity. And even then, with that type of a pledge from the president and letters by Congress to the Department of Justice, we could not get the obscenity laws enforced. Do they, do they um, in your meetings with these Department of Justice officials, do they say why they're so reticent? They did. They have, well, they basically, they, I'm going to call this an excuse because this is nonsense. Okay. It really mm-hmm. is. They simply do not have the will to bring these cases. They're harder cases to win because the law is subjective. It's not a, um, a this is obscene and therefore we take it down. Like, well, like the way child pornography cases are, or are prosecuted. They have to get the, these cases have to go through um, due process in a court of law. And so it takes a lot more time. But but we've been told for years, and just even recently with the, the past Justice Department, that they needed all their funding and resources to fight trafficking, child sex exploitation cases, and child pornography cases, which is true. I mean, that in and of itself, and when we talk about this in a few minutes, is it over the top, completely overwhelming the Department of Justice. However, um, I spoke with members of Congress last year, and I said, we need to get the obscenity laws enforced because it's fueling all of this, you know, and we're not going to really curb trafficking and child exploitation and, and, and child pornography because it's all interlinked. One fuels the other. It's like this vicious cycle of abuse um, unless we get the obscenity laws enforced. You know, it's like trying to end water pollution without holding uh, businesses accountable for dumping toxic waste into the water supply. You, you just simply, it's not going to work. So so I, I asked Congress to appropriate money for obscenity prosecutions, and they put it in the FY21 bill. So it is in there. So assuming the new budget goes through in some fashion, it oh, should be this is FY21. This is okay. this year's bill. So there's no excuse, but we're going to even take that a step further, Lord willing, this year to ask Congress to appropriate a specific dollar amount and ask for um, dedicated prosecutors to prosecute these obscenity laws because it's completely out of control. And look, children are one of the largest demographics of consumers of this type of very vile, deviant, and depraved content. This is not your, you know, Debbie Does Dallas sex video anymore. It's this beyond is, that, is what you're saying. way beyond this. With, 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 with women being choked and, and uh, girls being raped and, 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 and our depictions of that and incest and even of uh, uh, violent racial pornography. I mean, I'm surprised we're not getting more pushback from, you know, groups that are fighting for racial justice. So it's just, a, um, it's a nasty, ugly, evil underworld that has just been allowed to go unchecked. It is evil. And, and it's, it's one of those things that uh, people seem to be afraid to touch, which is why I wanted to have you on the program. I know, uh, and I won't name the publication, but I once wrote a piece and I suggested, and I don't know if this is true, but I suggested that one of Anthony Weiner's problems uh, 
when was that it sounded looked to me like maybe he had been influenced by pornography mm-hmm. and i was going and i wrote a piece and it said he could do the world a great favor if he came out and said look i've ended up in this depraved condition and it started with me looking at these images and these depictions Mm-hmm. And I was spiked, which rarely happens, because they said, you don't know that he looked at pornography. And I said, I said I didn't know whether he looked at pornography. Right. But there seems to be a great fear. There seems to be a fear in law enforcement, a fear in media, among public advocates. Uh, and a lot of people, perhaps they say, well, I don't want people to think I'm a prude. But this has nothing to do with prudery, does it? No, it doesn't. It, it, it really doesn't. When you understand that the themes that are being promoted, themes that anyone would find um, extreme. You know, um, uh, it, like I said, images depicting... Uh, well, when you, put violent, yeah, when you put violence together with sex, mm-hmm. that to me is an explosive and very pernicious combination because that can lead to people thinking that violence and sex are appropriate. I mean, violence is appropriate in a sexual situation. That's right. And, and, and studies have shown that a large percent, depending on which study you're looking at 80 to 90% of the scenes depicted in today's obscene pornography that's available to anyone, including children on the internet, depicts some form of violence against women. Have and, we see, have we seen a change in the uh, personal behaviors of children as this has come on to uh, become a crisis? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, we're, we're seeing um, increased uh, incidences of child-on-child sexual abuse and violence, and most often it is linked to hardcore pornography exposure. Wow. I mean, this, this, this is, these are peer-reviewed studies that we're talking about. And, and here's another thing that we know um, medically and scientifically is that pornography rewires the brain. Okay? So it's rewiring the brain. And especially it, it is harmful in a young person's brain because their brain is not fully developed. So these images really stick in there. They can't be erased. And this this type of content, whatever the content is that they're looking at, is actually shaping their sexual template, their desires, what they find um, is arousing to them, and then what they desire, what they that the type of sexual behavior they then seek out, either through a, a willing partner or an unwilling partner. Let me give you some data here. Sure. Of, of children, of minor children, those are kids under 17, 18 years old, Kids under 10 years old represent 22% of online porn use by minor children. Say that again, because I want that to sink in, because that's shocking. Yeah. Um, Children under the age of 10 years old represent 22% of online porn use by minor children. And to fill that out, kids between 10 and 15 represent 36% of online porn use by minor children. So, That's child abuse. Well, it is. I, and, and I'm glad you said that because I have always contended that exposing children to pornography is child abuse. It That's is. what pederasts do to, to get the children to cooperate. That's absolutely right because it lowers their defenses. It sexualizes them. 
believe me, kids get turned on by this, okay? And we know that children are, are sexual beings, but we have to guard and safeguard their innocence and steward that innocence. And we're not doing this. And this is the responsibility, of course, of government and law enforcement. It's the responsibility of the corporate and the tech community. It's the responsibility of parents. So we all have to be working together to protect children, but, but parents can't enforce the law. So that's why we at Enough is Enough, in addition to all the other harms online that we work to protect children from, we try to help parents understand that their children are not immune from being exposed to pornography, boys and girls. This isn't just a boy thing anymore. Girls are getting cloaked at very young ages. And I, I did a whole um, internet safety program and TV show, and I had these young girls telling me that they were expected by the boys they were seeing at 12 and 13 and 14 years old to act like and, and perform like the girls did in pornography. So, so basically the idea of romantic sexual attraction is being distorted into this kind of brutalized mm -hmm. lust as opposed to love. Yeah. And not just lust as opposed to love, but, 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 um, extreme types of sex acts, you know, lots of group sex, anal sex, violent sex is become the new normal among our kids. And, it, that's, and, it, and that's, it's horribly I, sad. And I remember being, I remember being a teenage boy and that would have been, you know, I was curious like any other teenage boy when the hormones start to churn, that would have been something I would have gone for, which I was going to ask this late, um, later of you, but this is, I think, relevant at this point. How do parents, what are the warning signs for parents that maybe their children are getting into this very vile and uh, harmful content? Anytime you see a child becoming sexualized before, you know, they should be sexualized at an age appropriate age, like, you know, once you go through puberty and everything else, you're going to expect, you know, they're going to get interested in boys, or girls, or what have you. But um, if they have an unusual interest in sex, you start to see um, sexually sexual acting out, either um, self-arousal or um, messing around with other kids with that sort of thing, Extra uh, a lot of time online, um, hiding What's what they're looking at online, yeah. you see any unusual charges, but, but quite frankly, most of this content is free. So, Why, why do these companies... I think they're trying to hook these kids as lifetime consumers. Would that be why they could access this stuff for free? Well, yeah, the, the business model for the porn industry now is mostly free. So they're um, the, the porn hubs of the world. They put this content out there for anyone to get for free. And then as you get deeper into it, then you can begin buying, you know, and spending money for pornography, but it's, it's been free for a long time. We call this the kind of the free teaser image and free teaser video. Aspect. Kind of like a lost leader in business. Yeah. You bring the, mm -hmm. bring the consumer in, you get them hooked and then you start um, charging them for things. Right. Eventually. But they yeah. also have business models where they're making a lot of money without charging, like through clicks and advertising and everything else. And what I found shocking is that all of this isn't, let's say, professionally produced. A lot of these this content people do and then just put themselves up on the Internet. That's right, including kids. So um, one of the one of the outrageous <laughs> um, things that we found during COVID is that with lockdown 
and kids on at home and online more, the incidences of um, sexual exploitation of children went up. Um, the incidences of uh, child um, child sex abuse images went up 28%. It was already a pandemic level. Incidences of online enticement of children went up 97%. But one of the things that went up was kids' incidences of sexting. Now, sexting is when anyone sends a nude image or video of themselves to another person. During COVID, the attempts by kids to sex went up 186%. And so we have law enforcement that have been telling us now during this season is that they're taking down a lot of content of children, which is quote unquote, you know, falls under child pornography laws, but they're actually images that children and youth have taken up themselves and posted and shared that have gotten online. Because they think that that is an appropriate thing to do. And once it's online, of course, you never know where you can't it goes. take it down. Yeah, that's right. Let's um, let's now distinguish what we've just been talking about with uh, what um, I've called child pornography, and you had a different term, which is the actual abuse uh, on video or whatever of children. Um, How serious is that a concern in terms of what we've been talking about? It is a pandemic. the The child pornography industry is also a multi billion dollar industry. And it is, has overwhelmed DOJ. Prior to COVID in 2019, there were over 69 million images and videos depicting the sexual abuse of children, including infants and toddlers. After lockdown, right after lockdown, that, those reports went up 28% mm. after lockdown. So we were already at pandemic levels prior to COVID. And AG Barr said that the the DOJ was at a breaking point and they couldn't even prosecute their way out of these cases. So what what is really interesting is that the obscenity is fueling the child pornography because the the quote-unquote adult obscene obscenity business, what they're doing is they're putting out what we call barely legal content. So Mm -hmm. they're using models or actresses or performers that are 18, but look like they're 12 and 13. So they're wetting the appetite of the consumer to then eventually use real child sex abuse images. And, um, and just in terms of the battle and the advocates that we work with in law enforcement, we're just simply changing the term and it's a slow change from child pornography to child sex abuse images. We just call it CSAM because that more accurately depicts what this content is because these images are the actual abuse and exploitation of a real child. And it's rape. And it is. It is Absolutely. rape. Yes. It is. When you do that to a child, that is rape. Yes. Uh, and it is. Uh, that seems to be one area where law enforcement still does do some oh, yes. act, active work. They're very active in this. Um, we have Internet Crimes Against Children's Task Forces. The state attorneys general are, you know, fight this along with sex trafficking and these, you know, sexual predation cases where predators and pedophiles are, are grooming kids online and seducing them and getting them to sex and using them for for child pornography and then, you know, 
often they're being trafficked. So it's like I said, it's this whole vicious circle. So law enforcement is very, very aggressive, thank God, with respect to enforcing the child pornography and the sexual exploitation cases of children, as well as trafficking. But I'm just going to say this just as plain as day. When I look at the amount of money that the United States spends in billions of dollars fighting very important issues, and you can say wars or whatever else, and yet we've got a multi-billion dollar trafficking industry here in the United States. Uh, you're talking about dollar, human tra- You're talking about human, human trafficking, trafficking. And sex trafficking, multi-billion dollar child pornography industry and a multi-billion dollar obscene pornography industry. And we're throwing a few hundred million at it. Because it's not a priority. It doesn't seem to be, and it needs to be because these are our children. It's not a priority because discussions like we are having, I rarely, if ever, see them anymore on news shows, on news programs. I never see politicians discuss it or bring it up. I don't see parents bringing it up to to the politicians and saying, wait a second, you know, my uh, friend's uh, kid was just raped by somebody who saw something on, on, uh, on, on pornography because we as a society have apparently decided that these things are not important. And I don't think it's because we're ashamed of it. I think it's because we're not as ashamed as we need to be of it. I, I think that that's a large part of it, and it just needs to be a public policy issue, um, a, a stronger issue. That's why we did these pledges. We also did a governor's pledge where did we did President Biden sign a pledge? He didn't. We put it, um, we sent it to him when he was a candidate. Donald Trump had already signed it, so he was already good with it. And, um, and then we sent it to him since he has been in office, and we've had some conversations with his staff there in the White House. And basically their position is, well, we're not going to sign a pledge because we're going to work on policy. And then we said, fine. Well, then let's continue the legacy of the Trump administration because they were very hard in fighting trafficking and child exploitation and child pornography. But we need more money there. So we need to continue that and we need to start prosecuting obscenity. And so we'll see what their priorities are, but we have not seen as such since over at the Department of Justice, we have not seen in their priorities this year that they're going to start obscenity prosecutions, which is what Congress asked them to do in this year's appropriation bill. So it's going to be up to the people to light a fire and say, this is important to me when I vote. Yes. And we would love people to, to get behind us at Enough is Enough. We're a nonprofit, but we have petitions all the time. And we've got a big petition right now to the Department of Justice to prosecute Pornhub. Um, not just that Pornhub has child sex abuse images there. They've got incidences of, of women and children who have been trafficked being depicted on their site. And of course, they're a, an obscene pornography operation. And um, we don't know if DOJ is doing anything at all, but we've got a petition up on our website at enough.org. And we'd love it if people could sign that because we are not going to give them a day's rest on this. We're going to keep fighting. So the website is www.enough.org? Yes. And and then the petition would be found if people want that. Mm-hmm. Also, um, to, to read your other materials, obviously. So I want to move on to something else, but I want to put something that I connected from what you said, and correct me if I'm wrong. We discussed two di- different, uh, somewhat different issues. One, which is obscenity, which deals with adult 
issues. And one was child sex abuse. CSAM, child sex C- abuse images. So it's just the child, CSAM, child sex abuse material. But what you're saying is that they're really not different, that the, the obscenity part often leads to the child part. Yes. And yes. so that it's it's like um, uh, the the image that popped in my head was the uh, quality of life kind of enforcement that uh, happened in New York where you had uh, graffiti and broken windows and stuff. And when that was fixed, the entire community was elevated. Yet, and also you see that when those things are allowed to proliferate, the entire level of the community descends. Right. That's the kind of thing you're talking about. Well, that's right. It's that, and it is the, the fact that this hardcore pornography is fueling sexual violence against women. It's fueling sexual violence and exploitation of children because the themes depict this. You know, yes. it is fueling, it is getting young kids addicted to this type of content, which is completely becoming, changing their sexual template, like you said, from 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 tender, loving, caring, respect, respecting the dignity and the personhood of another person into just seeing them as a sex object or even um, an object to be violated um, sexually. And, 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 and use for one's own gratification. Absolutely. And, and that's why I think this is a human exceptionalism issue, because it really, in, in its own way, degrades its victims in the same way racism degrades people based on race, or the same way sexism, this is a form of sexism, but degrades mm-hmm. people. It is a degrading of people and treating them as if they were something to be used less than human. Well, and, and that is absolutely right. And then when you add in images of bestiality, yes. now you're putting a woman or a child, because there are child sex abuse images depicting children, bestiality with children, and, yeah, yeah. and rape with children as young as infants. Infants. I'm sorry, you just nonplussed me there. Infants? Yeah. Infants and toddlers, yes. And there's what we call real-time sex abuse where predators will 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 get together and they will abuse a child in real time online virtually we call it virtual abuse and virtual streaming of that ab- abuse in real time so look you know this is just evil and it's a horrible thing to be having to talk about but it's very real yeah. and um and and this is impacting the whole culture because it's coarsening the culture and the way we view one another. We talk about showing respect and dignity for one another, and yet you've got this this deep, dark web of, of, of content that is flooding people's lives, including our children, all over the world. There was a recent story about our gymnasts who were repeatedly, as minors, abused over many years and the Gymnastics Association didn't do anything about it. When the FBI found out about it, they kind of sat on it. Mm-hmm. And there was even a cover-up. It's almost as if uh, our institutions, and we've seen what happened with the Catholic Church, with the Boy Scouts, it's almost as if our institutions, rather than confronting these uh, abuses, would rather pretend they didn't exist or cover up, mm-hmm. or they care more about their own um, image than actually protecting children. Yeah, it would seem that way. And I I am glad that these have all come to light. 
And I do hope that this continues. And, and it does take law enforcement, it does take parents, and it takes everyone to stand up. When you see something, say something. If you see someone that on an airplane that looks like, you know, they might be being trafficked, you know, say something. Report it to, to the flight attendant, you know, right away. If, you, if you're concerned about a child, you know, who, who, who may be abused or, or whatever, you, you have to say something because children need the adult community even if it's not their own parents, it could be a teacher, a pastor, to say something and to protect them. They are not geared up as children to be to be able to fight the the the, the grooming and the wiles of a predator or a clever pornographer. So they, they need us to help them. And, and most importantly, and what we fight for it enough is enough is to prevent all this from happening to begin with. So all of our focus is prevention. That's why we yeah. want to see these laws enforced. And we, we want to empower parents to protect their children. We've got whole programs designed to do that. We, we try to get the tech industry to make it harder for, for the bad guys online to get to kids and harder for kids to get to pornography. And so, If we really were a pro-family country, this would be a much higher profile, much higher priority than it seems to be. What you're telling me is it's almost like you get the crumbs instead of the bread. That's right. And I will say that even from from donors, (laughs) you know, it's it's what I have found is that um, and and even, you know, parents that are good, good parents, I, I typically the battle with them is that, oh, I realize how bad it is, but my I've got really good kids. And they're, this isn't going to happen to them because they're really smart. They know what they're doing online. You know, they don't aren't even interested in sex or, you know, I've got a filter turned on, which filters are good. We totally promote filters. And that's all I need to do. And we're like, no, you need to be on top of their online use every single day. If they're online every day, then you need to know what they're doing. And, and, there are and shouldn't, shouldn't parents talk to their friends' parents? Because yes. it just takes one household that allows this stuff through for all the kids to congregate and go for it. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. It's important that, that parents, just like they do with their kids when they've gone to school or they've gone to a sleepover, how did it go? What happened? You know, What did you do? When your kids are online, the, the technology shouldn't be a babysitter or a game. I mean, this is technology that is opening up your child to all of the great wonders and beauty and fun and learning potential of the internet, but also a, cr- a whole criminal underworld that yes. they are subjected to and that they are vulnerable to. And, and they're so, looking for their, these kids to, to kind of hit certain links and then try to entice them. That's right. And, and predators are using social media platforms all the time and gaming platforms is just a dream for sexual predators because they can get in and start be a, be a gamer friend, you know, to, to kids playing on, uh, online games, become their friend, become their gaming partner, and then start to seduce them online and begin to groom them and then get them off into private conversations, etc. So what we teach parents to do is to understand all the dangers that their kids are being exposed to online and then to take very concentrated steps to limit those dangers and to prevent those risks from happening in the first place. 
and we can talk about that whenever, whenever you want me to, but I'd like to go through that. So this doesn't seem just like, oh do, my do gosh. It now, do it now while we're talking about it so I don't forget it. Okay. So, um, so yes, kids are, have access to all that we talked about so far, plus cyberbullying is another really big issue, okay? So just to try to keep this really simple, we recommend that parents implement common sense tools, which we call rules or, or common sense measures. And the rules are the things that parents need to be doing on a regular basis. So know what your kids are doing online. Have regular conversations with them. Keep the lines of communication open because you as the parent want to be that safe person that if something happens or there's something that scares them or they see their friend getting involved in something, you want them to be able to come and tell you and that they're not going to be afraid that they're going to get in trouble or that you're going to take their technology away. So build that atmosphere of trust very early on. Start that at four or five, six years old, right? Spend time online with your kids. Know the platforms that they're using. Follow the rules. Kids under 13 are not supposed to be using social media, all right? But they lie all the time and get on Facebook and, and, and you know, WhatsApp and, you know, all, all these different platforms that are, are, are problematic. And then it's important to use the tools. So that what are the tools? The Turn on the parental control tools. And they have to be turned on on every single device used by your kid. So the gaming device, the smartphone, the laptop, turn on the filters. I suggest the most restrictive filter, especially for young children, shouldn't even be on the internet. Okay, there are ways they can use the technology without being on the internet. Um, use the monitoring tools and use the time uh, limiting tools. So these, Are all of these uh, t uh, techniques available on your website? Well, yes. I mean, each, most any device, that you get yourself, uh, you get your child will have these tools available. The problem is that they're not turned on. Yeah. The faults are completely off. So the parent has to come in and turn them on, turn them on on a social media platform, turn them on that gaming device. And you can learn how to do that if you go to our website at internetsafety101.org. We cover every single danger, talking points, conversation starters and exactly what we suggest that you do on all these different platforms. So people don't have to be intimidated that if they're no. not tech savvy, that they can't figure it out. It's relatively easy and you show them how. Exactly. It is easy. So that's why we keep it so simple. We say use rules and tools. There's a little checklist on Internet Safety 101 site. Just run it off, you know, and make sure you know how to do this. And if you don't know how to make a device safe for your child, then don't get it for them. Learn oh, how that's to a do very, that. that's a very interesting point. If you can't protect your child, then don't put that tool of potential abuse in your child's hands. Right. I think that's a very interesting point. I read, you know, sometimes that parents are becoming concerned about sex education courses in schools actually becoming more pornographic. Is that an issue that or is that an exaggeration? No, that is true. Um that is I mean, we're seeing sexually exploitive material making that has made its way into curriculums in schools, in the sex education curriculums. And some of it seems to be pornographic. This is not my area of expertise, but I would say that from what I've seen 
and from what I'm being told by advocates and experts that are dealing with curriculums, that it's very important for parents to know what the curriculums have, what what, what they comprise of. So don't just sign something willy-nilly, you know. With, with, you should look at the materials look at the that your children are being taught. That's right. And, and say, I want to see the curriculum before I agree to have my child in, in, uh, go through the sex education curriculum. Because I've been told in some school districts across the country that they're teaching chin, uh, children about different kinds of genders that they can choose. They're teaching them about how to uh, arouse themselves. You know, these are, uh, these are K through five, K through six grade levels. It really depends on the school district. So be very careful and look at it. And if you find something's going on, there are other groups like ours. We're not one of them that are out there fighting these types of curriculums and, um, and helping parents to opt out or to change those curriculums in those districts. And there's a problem with popular culture, too, isn't there? Tell us about the problem with Teen Vogue. <laughs> Teen Vogue is, oh, my goodness. They, well, Teen Vogue is a, was supposed to be, and most people would think it would be sort of the, the, the daughter of Vogue magazine, but it really isn't. It is owned by Condé Nast, but they have really gone off the deep end, in my opinion. They have been promoting sexually explicit content to their demographic, which is 12 to 18-year-old girls and boys. So, for instance, um, what got my attention with Teen, Teen Vogue a few years ago was when they put out a guide, and it was, again, remember who their demographic was, and it was called Anal Sex 101. And they were teaching kids to try anal sex and actually showing them diagrams, boys and girls, to try this sex act. And, they, and anybody can, a child can buy a Teen Vogue without a per, parent's uh, consent. Well, and this is an online digital magazine. So I see. Um, it is, the demographic is for teens. This is for teens. This is a teen publication. So, um, so we we were astounded. So we started a huge petition and got like fifty thousand petition signers. And even in that promoting anal sex, they didn't talk about the the risk of AIDS or any other type of 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 risk of of that type of sexual practice. And so this is the kind of thing that they have just continued on and on with. You know, they're teaching kids, oh hey, if you want to have an abortion. Here's how you can do it and get around your parents' consent. And then this past year during COVID, they really just went off uh, on another tangent. And they were encouraging kids. This is all up on our website. We've got a petition to Teen Vogue, too. Uh, They were encouraging teenage kids to keep their sex lives alive because they had, you know, to socially distance and they couldn't go out by sexting. They're teaching kids to sex. Now, when an underage kid teenager sends nude or graphic pictures of themselves they've created under the law quote-unquote child pornography yep it's a felony and if they send it to let's say a boyfriend who's above age he could actually go to jail for that well yeah anybody could even a kid could um but they're not doing that now because this is a huge problem. So they're they're not arresting these kids on child pornography case, you know, charges by and large. But yeah, so Teen Vogue is just, 
you know, if when you're using your filters, just disallow Teen Vogue because it's not it's not a good publication. I noticed uh, on your website um, you have acronyms parents should know. Uh, there's almost like the secret language. Uh, that teenagers have. And I think that's very interesting. For example, the number eight actually represents oral sex. I never would have dreamed that. Uh, the number 1174 is nude club, things of that sort. So your your kids may have a secret language that deals with these issues. And, and on your website, um, there is an, a list that people can find out about so they, <laughs> they can perhaps discern what, what might be communicated by the children. That's right. Um, uh, we're almost done, uh, but I need to, I, there's something I'm, I, I have a heart about and that there are people who use pornography and are just miserable over it. I've heard of suicides because mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. If somebody is, let's say, and, and I don't think there's any way to say it otherwise addicted to this material, yeah. if it is, if it is destroying their relationships, if it is a distorting their view of, of healthy sexuality, how do people who are kind of mired in this uh, La Brea tar pit, if you will, of, of evil, and, and that's the right term, mm-hmm. evil, I define evil as using any other human being as an object mm-hmm. instead of a subject. And that's mm-hmm. what porn is. Mm-hmm. So how do people who are mired in this discuss, this awful um, trap, how do they get out of it? Are there tools that yes. if any of our listeners want to free themselves from this, mm-hmm. what should they do? Yeah, well, first of all, let me just say to anyone listening, you're not alone. And to parents, when you find out if, you're, if one of your children might be addicted to pornography, they're not alone. This is a very common addiction now. So I think one of the most important things is not to shame anyone, uh, unless they're just like, this is what I'm going to do. This is my thing. And they don't want help. But a child will typically feel a lot of shame. You know, so it's important for them not to feel shame. But there is a lot of recovery um, programs out there. We have a whole resource center at enough.org or internet safety one and it's just this resource center and we've listed what we think are the top resources there are programs for men for instance the conquer series which is really good every man's battle there are workshops on every man's battle across the country we've got links to that every young man's battle, every woman's, young woman's battle. There's just a lot of great resources. Fight the new drug, which is focused on high schoolers and um, college students and young adults. They have a program, you know, to help um, really change the template of, of the mind and, um, and replace pornography with love, which is really what this is all about, right? Pornography is just simply hijacking loving relationships and and a healthy relationship and hopefully, you know, healthy marriage uh, eventually. So they're great programs. Get help. Don't put it off. It's it's oftentimes not the kind of thing that you can fight alone. You need help like a 12-step group. There are those kinds of groups too. There is technology accountability software that will help you if you have an accountability partner. Um, Covenant Eyes is one of those, and they do a great job. So let's just say, um, you know, Sam, who's um, been struggling with this, and he says, you know, I want to stop. I want to get help because every man's battle and everything, and he has an accountability partner named Dave, 
And they put this technology on Sam's computer. And every time Sam wants to slip and go look at pornography, Dave's going to get a notice, right? So oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's just so much help. I just want to encourage people to, to understand, first of all, when I'm talking about the, the evils of this, that doesn't mean that people using it are evil. That's this important. This means that you got hooked. You got snookered into this at some point, usually at an early age. And it's gotten gotten a hold of you, but you can get set free from it. You can't. There is hope and there's healing through secular um, programs and also, also through Christian programs and healing and spiritual healing. And so there's there's a lot to that. And if you haven't started looking at it, don't start. No, no, absolutely. Do not start. This is not something to play around with. We found a lot of marriages that want to spice their marriage. They'll start down this path. And by golly, you know, it's oftentimes the husband or the wife that'll get hooked on it, and it ends up causing a problem down the road. Well, Donna, thank you so much for being with us. Would you uh, give the website again? Uh, This has just been a very, um, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. um, upsetting conversation, but I think it's an important one. And I think the work you're doing is really crucial. Please give your website again. Yes, it's enough.org. And you can link over to the Internet Safety 101.org site as well. And, and if I can, please sign up for our newsletter. When you go to our website, there'll just be a link that comes up. You get our newsletter. It's all free. We will keep you up to date on what's happening um, in the culture with our, the battle and with new apps and new things that come out, you know, that you may need to, to, to know about to protect your children. We just we're sending out weekly updates on information that I think uh, parents in particular and concerned citizens will find helpful and sign our pledges. Be an activist. There you go. Thank you, Donna, very much. And uh, I appreciate you being on Humanize. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Humanize from Discovery Institute's Center on Human Exceptionalism, where human rights meet human responsibilities. Discover all the good work of the Center on Human Exceptionalism by visiting discovery.org slash human. We can only do this work speaking on behalf of human life, human thriving, and our exceptional place in this world and our cosmos with your support. We invite you to make a one-time gift today and to consider starting a monthly gift to support the Center on Human Exceptionalism and this show. Wherever you're listening to Humanize, please take a moment to rate and review the show. You matter. Your actions matter. Be bold, be exceptional, and be back soon.